Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens would mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Welcome to Yeah Na Passaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith, and this week we are joined by muckraker Stephen Monticelli, the publisher of Protean Magazine. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, I've seen you described as a muckraker, but also as a movement journalist. Could you tell us a little bit about your philosophy towards journalism? Gladly. So for those that aren't familiar with the former term, that's a term that came out of the American journalism movement around, I would say, the you know late 1800s, early 1900s, during a time of great corporate corruption and inequality, uh, as well as political corruption. And so muckrakers uh, were basically reformist-minded journalists that, you know, would not only tell the news and do investigative reporting, but uh, took it upon themselves to be more of champions for reform and in particular focused on the sort of, you know, bad actions of the large and powerful. When it comes to movement journalism, that's a bit more of a, a modern and contemporary movement of journalism that's uh, emerging also, I, you know, I believe in the United States, but it may be spreading elsewhere. And it's it's generally just the idea that, you know, we continue to live in a time when human civilization is still rife with all forms of oppression. And so there are movements that are seeking to, you know, be basically liberatory movements. And move, movement journalists see it as their role to help tell the stories of these movements, these, you know, pro-liberatory anti-oppression movements, as well as provide a critical lens. It's not, it's not to be a, a spokesperson or simply a megaphone, but to, you know, help provide historical and social context as well to uh, contemporary movements that have their roots in decades-long, if not centuries-long struggles. You've had a few big scoops of late. One of them is not about a, a movement that has had a decades-long struggle. It's had a, a sort of a few years-long struggle with a reality, which is uh, <laughs> out in Dealey Plaza, there are a bunch of people waiting for JFK Jr. to return. Could you tell us what on earth is going on with that? So this group that has been gathering in Dealey Plaza, which context for folks across the big pond, uh, the Pacific, it is a location where former president of the United States, JFK, uh, John F. Kennedy, was famously shot, assassinated as he was driving a motorcade through Dallas, which uh, then contributed to the city being known as the City of Hate for quite a long time. Uh, I I still describe it as such. I, I live here. And 
these uh, individuals that gathered at Dealey Plaza by the hundreds are effectively members of uh, a QAnon offshoot sect, which I'm guessing your listeners are probably f- somewhat familiar with QAnon because I do know that it has unfortunately spread across the greater English speaking world and is in some ways in New Zealand and Australia. But, you know, for those who aren't, it's Gosh, it's just a choose-your-own-adventure conspiracy theory that has emerged in the United States out of board culture, like 4chan, 4kun, 8kun, etc., 8chan. And uh, it has basically embedded itself within the right wing. Uh, But when you really start to look into the sorts of things they believe, it's a lot of just recycled, you know, conspiracy theories and panics that go back, you know, at least 100 years if not longer. So for example, like the, uh, one of the favorite conspiracies that is in this culture, uh, about this substance called adrenochrome. The idea is that this, uh, satanic Illuminati globalist cabal of, depending on who you ask, they might be communists. They, uh, harvest this substance from children in order to, you know, do their sort of rituals. And it apparently may also help them live longer. This is basically just blood libel, which was an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that was pushed long time ago, and it still is pushed by some virulent racists. And so, you know, that's all this the context of this broader movement, which, you know, for the past few years has gone down increasingly un- unhinged rabbit holes. But if you view it sort of more holistically, it, it, it is an extension in many ways of sort of like John Bircherism or this conspiratorial, laden, millennial uh, dominionist theology in the United States. And so these folks at Dealey Plaza are some of the most oh, ooh, esoteric and strange of them all. They are obsessed with numerology, and they have infused this into sort of like a syncreatic belief system with uh, evangelical Christianity, and are basically convinced that due to some abstruse numerological calculations – that JFK Jr., who has been dead since 1999, and his father has been dead since 1963, uh, as well as a bunch of other uh, ostensibly dead celebrities, would actually reveal themselves as being a part of a uh, decades-long sting operation that Donald Trump himself is basically the spear point for. So uh, I know I just said a lot, and if you didn't follow all of that, I don't blame you. <laughs> It seems like they set a very short deadline on their prophecy, which uh, I think normally you should set it a fair way ahead so you don't have this problem. Uh, What happened when JFK Jr. didn't emerge? Well, at first, they predicted that he would emerge around the same time that his father was shot, which I don't don't know why that would make sense. But uh, he didn't. At that moment in time, a large number of them started uh, reciting the American Pledge of Allegiance, which is kind of a fashy thing that we do and have done for a long time. And was actually imposed only after, you know, sort of this like Christian fashy revanchist movement in the United States took hold cent- like decades ago, like a century ago, uh, they started, you know, pushing some of this stuff. And so once they were done reciting it, they hung around for a while, about an hour and a half, and then it started raining. And then they went back to their hotels. But of course they moved the goalposts. They decided that, well, they're going to reveal themselves later on that evening at the Rolling Stones concert that a bunch of these people also uh, went to in Dallas. That did not happen, but it didn't stop them from convincing themselves that they had in fact seen these folks that they thought they would see, but that they were in disguise and that JFK Jr. and Michael Jackson were imitating Keith Richards and Mick Jagger. 
I I wish I were making this stuff up. Truth is stranger than fiction. This is pretty wild stuff, but has the QAnon movement been making sort of significant inroads within Republican politics in Texas? And how has that been manifesting? Ah, so I, I spoke with a radio program in Texas called Texas Standard about this in particular, and I've spoken uh, maybe at least on one other occasion about it, but I'm not the only one who's reported on this. There are a, a, an unsettling number of people who have either run for office, already were in elected office, or have you know announced their candidacy for office in Texas, but also across the United States generally, that have basically referenced some form of QAnon, um, conspiracy theory or belief, have uh, sort of, you know, spoken positively about it or have shared some of these like in-group memes that are quite blatantly a part of this broader QAnon movement. And so uh, in, in Texas, that actually goes really high up. It's not just like people on the fringe. The previous, he, he actually recently stepped down, head of our conservative party, the Republican Party in Texas. He spoke at a QAnon convention that I uh, went undercover to and reported on. He spoke to the crowd and seemed to be pretty stoked about it. He wasn't even you know, at all concerned about some of the things that people had been saying earlier the during the conference, which were pretty unhinged. Sid Miller's uh, agricultural commissioner, which is a statewide position. Uh, there are other names. Um, I mean, the point is, though, that a handful of them is too many uh, because none of this stuff is tethered to reality. It's it's really all just free floating out there in la la land. I wanted to ask you about that conference you attended. Was there anything that surprised you when you went to that? And what did you learn about the the adherence of this conspiracy theory from it? Well, I think the thing that surprised a lot of people, and it was all over the news, was a disgraced general openly advocating for a military coup in response to a question from the audience. That was pretty surprising. I mean, excuse my French. Uh, I did not even expect that. So that was definitely surprising. But other things were like how how much money people were willing to spend to be a part of this community. You know, thousands of dollars were spent at this really kitschy auction. They literally sold a quilt that had a cue on it. And, and it inspired a whole line of metaphors and analogies in my writing about how this quilt of beliefs they have it's all nuts and it weaves together into this like larger fabric that's hard to explain succinctly to anyone in terms of what they actually believe i was definitely surprised by kind of like how open people would talk how openly people would talk about some of their more outlandish beliefs when they kind of assumed that they were within a safe space or within you know good company so to speak and the the things that i you know we're not surprised by, but we're still, it still left an impression on me. It was just like the, the conviction with which people will try to deny their sort of association with this movement and, and obfuscate that despite their serious levels of material investment into it. Like the people who organized the conference would try to be like, yeah, this isn't a QAnon conference, but they literally go by QAnon John and Q Queen Amy on Telegram. I don't know if they think people are stupid or that the, that uh, the media like doesn't know how to do its job. I mean, they might be right to a certain extent on both counts, but that that event was really something. And you know, so now with the Steely Plaza stuff, it's the second 
you know, hundreds gathering of QAnon people in, in Dallas uh, within a year. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital on your DAB radio. We're currently talking to Stephen Monicelli. Another story that you've reported on recently was the hack of Epic. Uh, could you tell us what is Epic and why was it significant that it was hacked? Epic is a web service provider and uh, web host that has grown over several years. A lot of providers are large and host a lot of different types of content, but most of them typically have pretty decent abuse processes and, and they, they don't really tolerate uh, really bad stuff. They usually have st- some standards for this. So Epic, as a part of its growth, it wasn't the only thing that it did, but it increasingly became the sort of safe haven for far right con- web content. They would either provide web hosting or they would provide domain name service and anonymization service so that you know you couldn't really ever figure out who was actually behind these websites. Uh, but some of it would be you know, they were during one of the, when they acquired a company, for example, uh, it had neo-Nazi websites, you know, they've continued to allow some really bad far right stuff, some really conspiratorial stuff, white supremacist stuff, COVID disinformation stuff, you know, the stop the steal movement in the United States, which, you know, was a part of what culminated with the January 6th sort of uh, capital riot slash insurrection or, you know, whatever the hell you want to call it. Those websites were also hosted on this platform. So, you know, it was significant because uh, up until this data had been leaked, there was very little understanding of what was the real sort of network topology behind these disinformation websites and these extremist websites because of the protections that this company was providing. It was basically, you know, if you've ever heard of the dark net, well, this was uh, one of the components of the light net that was the underbelly side. Uh, a lot of dark, sketchy stuff happens. And so when it got leaked, a lot of those people's identities that were behind these websites have since been revealed. And it's also raised a number of questions around how does their infrastructure actually work? Where is it set up? And, you know, it, in its own right, as a cybersecurity incident, it is massive. So even setting aside the, you know, political sort of the political implications of the data leak, the pure scope and extent of the data leak and the sort of information that was revealed in it was, uh, it, it is one of the largest that has ever occurred. And cybersecurity experts have been quoted on that. Yeah, I mean, no offense to Anonymous, uh, but uh, it didn't seem like uh, they'd sent their best in terms of uh, how much security that they had on this uh, web service. Well, yeah, I mean, the the folks that claimed uh, the hack, yeah, Anonymous. I mean, I don't know if I don't know how hard it was really for them because it did seem like there was some really bad vulnerabilities here, some really really bad stuff. Like we're talking about like passwords being stored in plain text, like not hashed. Uh, so the the upshot of it is, yeah, you know, some folks have basically had their, I, you know, anonymous hate website um, blow back up in their face because now they're associated with it. And it, it is certainly something that is augmented by some other recent leaks, like uh, there's some Oath Keepers leaks where, you know, messages and member lists of that organization were recently leaked, which it, I believe it may have been unrelated. 
Uh, it's just that the timing was coincidental. And so, you know, it's, it's hard to say whether this, any, I, either of these stories is over at this point because the treasure trove of data was so rich that researchers may be going back and finding new connections as more stuff kind of tumbles out and in the future. I guess just finally, uh, another story that you worked on this year was uh, about a organization called Dallas Justice Now. Could you tell us what happened with them? Ah, uh, yes. So Dallas is uh, a hotspot for a lot of this, what people have come to call astroturfing, which I don't know if that's a term over in Australia, but, <laughs> you know, basically, yeah, you know, inauthentic political organizing that is made to look like it's from the bottom up, but it's really from top down and often is funded by mysterious sources. And there are really bad transparency laws in the United States when it comes to this that allow for certain sorts of nonprofit organizations to effectively like shield their donors and, you know, never reveal who's responsible for the shenanigans they get up to. Very little enforcement for this on the you know, sort of federal level. So um, this stuff is happening all over the country. Uh, but I'm based in Dallas, so I, I look at things near to home pretty closely. And I have been covering social movements in the area for some time now, and I'm quite well networked in my area in terms of, you know, who is really doing work, you know, well, like who in the community is is well-respected, uh, who, who actually knows what's going on, et cetera. So when this group emerged, Dallas Justice Now, uh, there were a number of red flags because no one had ever heard of it. The, the names that were associated with it were kind of murky and didn't really show much. And they, they, they just kind of seemed, something seemed off, but there was nothing immediately to say this, this is bullshit. But as time passed and they kind of just built up their social media presence and website and stuff, uh, there was a single incident that really blew the whole thing up. What ended up happening was this organization sent a number of letters to the richest, whitest part of Dallas, which is very rich and very white. And they sent them letters basically saying, you should not send your kid to a top tier school if you are really a good liberal or whatever, because that would be racist. You should make sure that there's more space for people of color. And they worded it in a way that was kind of explosive and controversial. Uh, and, and it's not really a demand that anyone in the Black Lives Matter movement has ever seriously put forward. So... When this happens, there's just a ton of red flags. They used like expensive certified mail. Uh, they had used these newswire distribution services that you basically can pay to play on. And then the original news about this organization was showing up in uh, websites that are basically a part of conservative uh, clickbait and content farm websites that they kind of, they're called pink slime. They, they make themselves look uh, like they're legit, but they're a part of basically like a, a a large network that's generating a lot of content algorithmically and then strategically pushing certain agenda-oriented content. The Columbia Journalism Review uh, has done a lot of really good work around this. And so when I see that, I go, what the hell? Some local anti-fascist researchers started digging into what happened, basically, like, who is this organization? Can we find anything about them based on their web presence? Uh, after this controversy emerged and really started a, you know, a big stir locally. And, you know, before we could really break it all open, the controversy made it all the way to Tucker Carlson, which is, you know, the number one right wing web, uh, right wing television talk show in the United States. And he talks about it. They talk about it as if it were uh, a real thing. 
And meanwhile, uh, when that show goes out, I had like just turned in my article and in it, it uh, revealed that these anti-fascist tipsters had discovered that someone made a big mistake. There were footprints and basically uh, p- pieces of data in the source code of this website that linked back to a, a test server for a bunch of websites that had been accidentally exposed to Google and was basically visible. And what it showed was an index of all of these test websites of a Republican Party PR firm. And Dallas Justice Now is one of them, as well as a pro-police uh, astroturf organization, Keep Dallas Safe, which, what a coinkydink. Um, we have no idea if there's any deeper connection between the two of them, but it sure seems strange that the only two clients in Texas are these two organizations. Uh, this this PR firm is based in Salt Lake City, Utah. So, you know, we put this article out there. It, it really causes a stir, uh, national attention. I mean, we dig deeper and we discover, yeah, this this PR firm's been doing a lot of uh, sort of dirty, dark money work for a while. And we identified campaigns that they had made websites for all across the country in various different states. Uh, and I wrote about that for Byline Times. And uh, there was some, you know, unfortunately, some blowback for myself. Uh, there were complaints made to uh, a newspaper that I used to write for that I had broken the story in. And despite the fact that none of what I had written was factually incorrect edits were made without my consent and basically now i have broken we we've broken ties over this because i did not even get a heads up that they were making some edits to my story which simply removed stuff it didn't actually really you know correct anything because there wasn't anything to correct so that story ended up getting picked up in vice uh you know cnn international news the independent in the uk and it is it is truly a pretty pernicious strategy. It's like this this sort of astroturfing that it appears to be designed to basically create a straw man argument for your political opponents and cast them as the most ridiculous, you know, scandal prone fools uh, to basically like you know uh, juice up their particularly uh, controversial wedge issue of the day and. The, the crazy thing is they keep doing what they're doing, you know, and the, and the, the pink slime websites keep reporting on it credulously as if this is a real organization. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with the Adam Curtis documentary, hyper normalization, mm. but it just kind of, it feels like that. It's just, you know, they're caught red handed and they don't care. They just double down because they know that if enough people only see one side of the story, they may be left with the right impression that could tip a school board race. I was going to say, surely it was a bit embarrassing for Tucker Carlson to have to uh, correct the record the next day. Uh, yeah, that's a funny dream world we're living in. <laughs> no such corrections have ever been made. Well, Stephen, we'll leave it there. Before we go, though, uh, would you like to plug a few of your things? Yeah, sure. As uh, you mentioned, I'm the publisher of Protean Mag. Uh, that's It's not really where I do most of my journalistic work, but it's something that I... Um, Hold near and dear to my heart. Uh, it is a leftist literary uh, periodical uh, and website. We publish essays, fiction, and poetry. We publish uh, people from all over the world, and we also publish a lot of original art that we uh, think is fantastic. So you can find us on Twitter or, or on our website. We have a Patreon as well uh, because we do not have any advertisements, and we you know rely on our readership to basically you know fund 
the work that we think is worth funding. So there's that. And then assuming that I get my Twitter account back, which uh, was recently attempted uh, to be hacked by some unknown sources because someone doesn't like my reporting, I guess, that is at Steve Anzetti. Uh, just you know, try and search my name in the Twitter bar. You'll probably find either my original account or my alt, uh, whatever ends up being the one that I have to use. And that's all. I, I really appreciate you having me on for this conversation. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, Global Intifada is up next. Folks, we will catch you next week. See you later. And now, here's Johnny. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Here is a bulletin. Here is a bulletin. What is it? Stand by, please. Stand by, please. Dallas, Texas. It appears as though something has happened in the motorcade route. In the motorcade route. Ich, ich, ich bin ein, ein Milena. Three shots were fired. Three. Put me on, Bill. Put me on. Three. Put me on, Bill. Put me on. Three. President Kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting. Stand by, please. More details just arrived. Mrs. Kennedy jumped up. She called, oh, no.
Here is the ambulance. More details just arrived. Mrs. Kennedy jumped up. She called, oh, no. on the Inside is an iconic new podcast series that gives voice to the experience of First Nations people in the Victorian prison system. 20 Years on the Inside, I'm Vicky Roach. And I'm Kutcher Edwards. This series reflects on 20 years of listening to our mobs on the inside as part of the Beyond the Bars prison broadcast. 20 Years on the Inside is essential listening for anyone looking to educate themselves about the realities of life on the inside and the need to end Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander incarceration. Well, a lot of the boys mentioned about being in jail. What you do really isn't who you are. You know, it's how you love your family, it's how you care about your cousins, and it's how you care about your people. That's what, that's what this is about for me. Catch the podcast via the 3CR website or on your favourite podcast app. Victoria, as we get ready to get back out there, you need to get your COVID-19 digital certificate ready too. First, create a MyGov account if you don't have one. Then, make sure your Medicare and MyGov accounts are linked. Then, add your COVID-19 digital certificate to the Service Victoria app. Then, get ready to go. Your vaccination is your ticket to everything you love and miss. For more on adding your vaccination certificate on your smartphone, go to coronavirus.vic.gov.au forward slash vaxproof. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter.